Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Peart. Once again and always we are joined by our co-host Tilly Baden. Tilly my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello everyone. Yeah, things are really good, thank you. I've just got back from Spain. So I How was that? Most... How was that? Oh. What did you get up to? I had the most amazing time seeing my one of my childhood friends get married. It was such a nice wedding. It was two days worth of celebrations. So on the first day, they had the Jewish celebrations because her, her now husband is Jewish. And then on the second day, they had Hindu celebrations because she comes from, from India and, and she's Hindu. So which it was, was the formal real... which was the formal marriage? Um, so neither they'd actually got married the day before, I believe. So, um, <laughs> but, like but they it. needed like to it. go through like the full ceremonies of each yeah, culture, yeah, yeah. and it was just so nice seeing these two families from completely different cultures come together and really yeah. embrace each other's traditions. Um, and they had people from all over the world there. It was so, it was just such a magical wedding really it was in a beautiful location in in ronda which is in southern spain so the weather was gorgeous it was a it was a very remote location i must say it was about 40 minutes or so by minibus from the town but on unpaved roads that were rather scary and even in first gear the wheels were spinning on the bus on some of the hills they could barely get up um so that was a bit of an adventure um but it was just it was a really nice time and I went away with my best friend Nikki and we just we hadn't had a good catch up for like a few days like that for, for a really long time so it was nice to just spend some quality time with her um, and just enjoy the sunshine really so I've, I've come back to England and it's it's still sunny but not quite as hot um, but I'm still in holiday mode. I don't know if I can even get my head back into social work to do this podcast because social work is a million miles away from my brain right now. Yeah, here you are one, once again, putting yourself in the arena for the sake of our listeners and the social work world. Exactly. I, I'm not going to miss it. Well, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't miss I couldn't miss a podcast show. That's very important. Well, today's podcast subject, it isn't too hard. It's not, obviously, not, not compared to last week when we were talking about murderous baby killers. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite so harrowing. Um, no. But still, no. quite a poignant topic, though. But before we get into that, how are you? How have your, how's your week been? I, haven't, I feel like I haven't really spoken to you because I've been living it up in Spain. I'm going to be it. I'm going to be a beard boy. Yeah, <gasps> yeah, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. so excited. Yes. Okay, yeah. um... What's, I do this what, about why? once a year. Once a year, I just think I'm going to try now. I'm going to try and be a beard boy now. Um, I usually I just go all natural, but this time I've got products. I've bought. Ooh. I've bought the gear. I've, I'm. I am. I'm fully equipped to grow a beard. I've got. If I, if it don't come right this time, it's never going to come. I've now. I've got the tools of the beard trade. Nice. Okay. I'm all for it. I love a beard. That's that's great. Mm, so, got a beard um, trimmer. I've got a beard brush. I mean, I've got a beard okay. roller. I've got beard oil. I've got beard shampoo. I've got beard exfoliator. Wow, you really have gone all out. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm a beard um, boy. You you have chosen one of the hottest months to do this. Do you think this is a wise decision? Do you think you could have waited maybe till later in the year when it's cold and you need some extra warmth on your face? Hot month for a hot man. Well, there you go. Can't argue with that. No, no. So I'm going to be, <laughs> I've got a beer that's kind of been, it's kind of been the main thing. That and what else have I been, I've had another fascination. Um, oh, yes. George Michael. Uh, okay. I mean, he, he's dead, but okay. Music, right? Well, one of cool. our fellow, one of our fellow columnists, uh, Millie Glass, not Millie Glass. Maisie McDonald. I always get them confused. Sorry to both of you. You know how awkward. How <laughs> awkward. Yeah. I'll be having Maisie. will be on the phone. You've called me Millie, and Millie will be on the phone. You've called me Maisie. And I'll be like, it's neither of your real names. You know, no wonder I'm confused. And then they'll remind me that I didn't go by my real name for six years when I was writing about social work, and that won't be awkward. So we'll not go down that route. I'll just ignore the calls anyway. There was an article over the last weekend by um, Maisie McDonald, and she, she'd mentioned watching a documentary 
about Wham and uh, I really used to like George Michael, like kind of liked him a bit too much, if you know what I mean. Well, not too much. No. Uh, hang on what you liked him a bit too much that sounds well there's, there's two there's two men that have fancied in my life okay one was george michael george michael yeah and, who's the other brandon flowers from the killers oh good choice good choice yeah, yeah, yeah. like if i was ever you know if i was ever going to you know know the know the ways of another man um i would have been george michael would be my number one um I just remember looking at George Michael when I was a young boy and thinking, hmm. <laughs> Questioning your sexuality. I, I love I would, it. Well, I wouldn't say that level. I wouldn't say that level. I just used to look at him and think, you know, I, I wish I was him. After uh, Maisie McDonald's recommendation, I watched the uh, I watched the George Michael documentary and I was like, do you know what I mean? He's, he's just as cool as I remember. You know, good guy. Do you know, I was, you know... I agree with Maisie McDonald that Christmas was a sad time. So, yeah, the past week has been... Do you know what, actually? I'm going to level with you. Hmm. The beard growth may be linked because George, the vast majority of the time, had a resplendent beard, short crop resplendent beard. I can see that. I mean, that, that fits with yeah, you and your personality. Yeah. You see something you like and you've got to have it straight away. So... Yes, this is uh, this is what I want. So while you've been out in Spain, I have been growing a beard and kind of low key fancying George Michael. Good. Okay. Sounds sounds very like you've had a very enjoyable weekend. But Definitely can have. I just ask you one thing? Um, where are we on with the boot stake? Because I've really wanted an update about this. Um, I've moved have on. You- I've You've moved, moved on. on. Of course yeah. you have. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised. But what do you I mean, mean, of course you have? What do you mean, of course you have? Because you just, you get these ideas and then they're everything to you for five minutes and then that's it. They're dead to you. Um, but I, I mean, at least you're not setting your car alight. Um, or How long do you think the beard will last? Um, I think potentially like a couple of weeks. Yeah. So how long do you think it will last for you? What What do know. you reckon? Should know. we take bets on this? We should have a poll, a little uh, <laughs> a beard live poll, poll on, <laughs> the beard poll. How long will Vince take before he caves oh, and shaves bro. it off in, in, in a hurry? We'll see. We shall see. Right. We've got a review in. We've got a review, but it came via email um, in response to last week's show. This is from Helen. Thank you ever so much for writing in, Helen. Helen says, Hi. Firstly, I just want to say that I think the work you are all doing is great. You've created such a wonderful space for important discussions to be had about social work. I regularly listen to your podcast, and yesterday I listened to the episode on the Lucy Letby case, and I feel that there was some missing key information in relation to procedures. I work as a Lado, and I feel that our role was completely missed in this episode. As you know, Lados, so just to explain, guys, I'm just going to break out that letter out there. A Lado is a local authority designated officer. They're essentially social workers that work in a position within local authorities in England and Wales, and their job is to oversee concerns about professionals. Um, so uh, Helen goes on to say, as you know, Lados are social workers who manage allegations that a professional who works with children has harmed a child or children. If a referral has been made in this case, the Lado would have appropriately escalated the matter and referred it to the police and ensured that a thorough investigation was completed. I do understand that this was a complex topic for you to discuss and I recognise the challenges with it. I just wanted to point out us as all social workers and indeed all professionals who work with children in the UK should be aware of the Lado procedures. Firstly, because they could sadly become subject to them themselves. And secondly, it is an important part of safeguarding kind regards, Helen. Um, Helen, I would say you're totally bang on with that. Um, that's fair enough, Tilly. You know, the ladder is a very important role and perhaps we could have spent a little bit of time discussing that. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. So thank you, Helen, for getting in touch. That's a, a good reminder for all our listeners out there that, that they do exist and do a very important job. So thank you. On this week's show, guys, we are going to be talking about the warning signs that you're working too hard. This comes off the back of two articles on mysocialworknews.com that we've run over the past week. The first one is our regular weekly column that uh, myself, 
Tilly and Matt B answer. Every week we take a key question, current debate or hot topic and we answer it on behalf of the readers. And this week's, the question was... What are the warning signs that you're working too hard in social work? As well as that, I wrote a follow-up piece because that um, column did really, really well. So I thought I'm going to write a piece as part of my weekly social work skills column. And I um, wrote a column about the 10 signs that you're working too hard as a social worker. So given these went down really well and we have spent many a podcast warning Tilly about her hard working, but such is fate that the one week where she hasn't worked hard and she's taken time for herself for some reason we've chosen this week to do the podcast on this subject but hey ho that's the way life goes so telly let's take it back a step then even though you have had a brilliant time off and you're in holiday mode which is absolutely excellent and long may that continue my friend what signs do you get when you are working too hard. Now, I know you answered some of these in your columns. So on behalf of listeners, do you want to cover that and explain a little bit more that in your life, what are the warning signs? What are the little red flags that you are pushing yourself a little bit too hard, my friend? Okay, so there's several. And I mean, I get them quite a lot because as we've talked about many times on this podcast, I do probably work harder than I should. And I'm very aware of that. And it's something that I'm working on, hence the holidays. But uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. So there's a few things that I get. The first thing is other people tell me I'm working too hard. Um, like me? And I mean, like you, I, I, I'm very grateful for you pointing this out. Um, and, and I've got other friends and fellow social workers and people outside of work as well that say that they are normally the first people that tell me that I'm doing too much because I find it really hard to recognize in myself yeah. when I'm working too hard. And I think that is because I really enjoy my job and yeah. it it doesn't always feel like work. So if I'm going out on visits and doing reports and writing and podcasting and doing all of these amazing things, I don't necessarily see that as a job, even though yeah. it is my job and I'm getting paid to do it. But I I don't necessarily equate that to work. I just think of it as something that is filling my time today. Yeah. So my first warning signs normally come from other people, but I have had times in my career where I look back and think I was working myself into the ground um, and it was starting to affect me. So I always think back to the time when I worked in children's services and a child protection team and I was working routinely 12 hours a day, evenings, weekends, um, it was a really stressful job and and not just the amount of hours that I was putting in, but the toll it was taking on me. And that's when I realized that I was doing too much. It was affecting my every waking thought. I was waking up in the middle of the night, worried about my cases and Jeez. just feeling stressed. You can, you know, we all know we can all recognize stress and that physical and physiological response that we get. So I think from that perspective I was working too hard then and I found that really recognizable physically but more in, in, in later years I often I need other people to point it out but then when I do look internally at myself I realize that too much of my thought processes are going on work and it's taking up a lot of my conscious time and energy and just not allowing myself to necessarily have as much fun or or doing things that are non-work related um i'll spend time in the evenings reading about case law or articles or research or things that i need to do and then i'm thinking about it and that's not necessarily always a bad thing when it's done in moderation because it's an important part of my job but mm. i know when it's creeping into my own time and my own life and it's taking a lot of my time and energy that it's time to step back and give myself a break, which is what I'm doing right now. What does that come at the expense of? What does overwork and that come at the expense of? What do you feel that that leads you to miss out on? I think I have sometimes put my own life a bit on hold because of social work. And I've been doing a lot of self-reflection recently. Um, I'm approaching the end of my 20s. I'm going to be 30 in a few months. And so for the whole of my 20s, I've been a social worker and I feel like I've dedicated this last decade to social work and 
improving and, and, and getting forward in my career. Yeah. And actually that sometimes come at the expense of other life experiences. Um, all my thoughts and drives have been around work and my career and development professionally, whereas actually I probably need to take some time to develop personally as well and spend time and energy on myself and doing things that make me happy. So that's going to be my focus for my next decade. So in my 30s, I want to do a lot more traveling. I want to see more of the world. I want to really focus on my friends and family and time outside of work because I've, I've reached the point in my career now where I'm very comfortable where I am. I don't necessarily have huge ambitions to progress much further. I, I like the level of management that I'm at. Um, I mean, I might go up sort of one one management level, but not that's not a real driving factor anymore. I don't want to go much higher up the management chain. I, I think that then you get drawn into too much about budgets and macro decisions. I still love the people connection that I have on a day-to-day -day basis, and I don't want to lose that. So I think that is where... I'm sort of heading towards that's the direction of that I want to, to do. My, my career is fairly stable. I can just carry on, do my work, do my hours, but actually start living my life a bit more. But there's, there is a great benefit to doing what you've done, though, in the fact that you're entering your 30s next year with a stable career that you're excelling, significantly high up the management chain already, with a very comfortable job that you like and you can do very well and with all the opportunities that come with that. So yes, of course, you potentially sacrifice some experiences in your twenties, but because of that, you're in a position to have a lot better experiences in your thirties. So yeah, have you, ha, is, could the argument be, have you really missed out or have you simply been paying it forward for yourself? Well, perhaps I have. And I, I suppose I'm very grateful it passed me for doing that. I've put in the legwork. So now mm. that I can, I can enjoy my time a bit more but equally I wouldn't want other people to necessarily follow in my footsteps because life is so precious and I think if you're constantly doing things to if you if you're living for the weekend and you're putting all of your effort into your career and you're forgetting to live at the same time you never know when something a disaster could happen and you could be in a position where you've you've then missed out because you've just been doing work and not enjoyed your life. So I think there's a balance that you need to, to have between. Yes, but everyone contends with those pressures, Tilly. Regardless of what career you're in, everyone contends with three competing pressures, which are to provide for yourself or your family through work. That's the first pressure. The second pressure is to spend time with your family and loved ones, You know whether you've got children or not, to spend time with your friends and family. And the third pressure is self-development, to have time for yourself, to go to the gym, to eat healthy, to have that relaxation, to be mindful, to spend time with yourself. Every single person on this planet, whether they're a social worker or not, contends with those three competing demands. The difficulty that many social workers, you and I included, would say is that because social work can become all-encompassing, it creates an added pressure which many members of the general public don't have. So... Those pressures are for everyone, aren't they? Those three competing pressures, yeah. work, yeah, family, self-development. If what's potentially happened for you over you know, the past decade has been too much time on work, not enough time with family and friends and self-development, then you can just swing that back the other way. You've had time for those other things, but you haven't had as much time as you wanted. And it's kind of like slicing that pie as finely as you can. Um, it can be hard. I was the same before I had children. It was easy to cancel plans with friends and family because there were things the majority of times that you you could get out of if you wanted to do. When I had children, I could no longer do that. And I noticed that my hours at work had to reduce. There was just no way. And my, my, I wouldn't say my quality dropped, but I got better at being concise and I got better at refining myself because you know what it's like, Tilly. It's, it's, it's very different when you'd like to do something compared to when you have to do something. I would always have liked to have spent more time with friends and family before I had kids. But when I had my children, I had to spend time with them. I have to be, I have to be there at the school gates to pick them up at half three. I have to be there after school club to pick them up at five. I've got no other option. 
That's just got to no. be done. And mm-hmm. it, it can be helpful to have those commitments, I think. Now, I'm being very, very clear with you and all our listeners. You can make those promises to yourself. You don't have to have children to make those promises. I make those promises to my children, but you, Tilly, you could make those promises to yourself. You could say, no, I'm going to log off at half three for me. I'm going to make commitments. I'm going to have an appointment, you know, with a... I'm going to go to a spa day. I'm going to see a friend. You can make those promises to yourself. The reason why you make those promises will be different for everyone. For me, I had to make those promises about my work-life balance for the sake of my children because I didn't love myself enough to do that for me. That's a fault in me. I didn't love myself enough to do that, but I do love my children enough to do that. Now I'm learning to love myself enough to do that, and that's, that's very powerful because if you can do it for yourself and you can do it for your other people, that's a beautiful synergy right there. It really is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pleased you're recognizing that as well, because that's something that we've talked about before, isn't it? That, that it's very easy to put others first. And I think that's a trait that, that many social workers experience. We, we do our light, we do our jobs to support other people, but we can't, we can't do that if you're not looking after yourself. No. And that comes back to, you know, the, the signs of my overwork were really, really obvious. They were all, they were all physical. Um, I used to get tenseness in my shoulders and arms. I used to get, tight pains in my chest. I used to find myself teeth grinding, clenching my jaw. I would have stomach cramps. You know, I would get really, really obvious, you know, physical symptoms of stress. I would have other issues. I'd struggle to maintain a healthy routine in my life. I would go to bed late, get up late. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I would be more irritable and snap. I'm sure you have seen me at times being quite irritable. It easily irked my people, my friend. Uh, <laughs> never. You know, I would never, never believe that. You're you're a picture of Zen. Yeah, you are. Well, I am now, always. but I didn't. You know, I am now, but I didn't used to be. Wasting my time on social media, computer games, other you know distractions like that. All things that were essentially um, pushing away the feeling of anxiety from overwork and. I'll ever with you, Tilly, for many, many years, you know, most of those which you've known me, I tend to downplay those symptoms of signs of physical health issues. I blamed, I've got a hiatus hernia, my food intolerances, I, I blamed those. But I'd say over the past three and a half years, but particularly since, especially I've been a bit of an acceleration and then sort of April, May this year as well. Um, I can accept it. I can I can label those and recognize them for what they are because what I used to recognize signs of overwork as was symptoms of weakness. I used to see those and because I'm driven to be strong and I'm driven to provide the very best that I can by the people who rely on me and I include the clients that I support in that one and the local authorities that employ me. I was very, very driven to do the best by everybody. And I saw doing the best by everybody meant that I couldn't do the best by myself. Well, I had to sac- if there was something that had to be sacrificed, it was me, my sleep, it was my quality of life, it was my free time, it was my happiness. Because that was an easy thing to sacrifice because it didn't hurt anyone else apart from me. What I realized is I had that completely wrong. Because since I started doing meditation, since I've started, you know, exercising more, started eating healthy since I've started saying, Do you know what, I'm only going to work. I don't work weekends anymore. I very, very, sometimes if we meet up on, sometimes I have to write a report on a weekend, but I used to work seven days a week regardless, just regardless. It was just the norm. I didn't always do lots of work on a Saturday and Sunday, but I would always find a couple of hours. If I had free time, I would fill it with work. Now I'm only ever booking things in Monday to Friday, only ever book things in Monday to Friday. I won't book in anything on the weekend unless I have to. And I don't put pressure on myself if I have to. I used to say to myself, right, I can't book anything on the weekends. And if I had to book things in on the weekend, I would see it as a massive tragedy. I would beat myself up about it. Like, well, why on earth are you booking that on a weekend? Now I just see that as necessary. I don't attribute more weight to things than what they are. I don't attribute emotional weight to the work I've got to do. I've got to do it. That's work I've got to do. I've got to do it. It's as simple as that. It might be on a weekend occasionally, but I'm going to have a goal. I'm going to have an ideal that I won't work on weekends. If I break that goal and if I break that ideal, I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater or cut my nose off to spite my face. I'm not going to make myself doubly feel bad because I feel bad for work on weekends, but then I'll feel bad for the guilt. Makes no sense at all. And this is what I think I've learned to do is recognize those symptoms of overwork, know them for what they are. They're not physical. They're a manifestation of stress and mental anxiety. See them as the warning signs that my body is telling me, accept them for what they are. And rather, this is a very powerful thing that I've done and listeners might want to try this. I was doing a guided meditation a couple of months back and it was very, very powerful. 
And it said, when you feel anxious or worried, you don't say to yourself, I am anxious. What you say to yourself is, there is anxiety. So you don't become your mind or your body, but you become the observer. And I found being able to separate that to help me recognize those signs of overwork. And yeah, I probably still work a little bit harder than most people, but I'm happy to do that because I've got high standards and I want to do the best by people, the, the people that I support. But I don't beat myself up for it anymore. And I don't work weekends or evenings unless I genuinely have to. Like I'm not booking it in as a matter of routine. And as soon as I was able to recognize those symptoms of overwork for what they are and respond to them and see my response to them and recognition of them as a sign of strength, as opposed to a sign of weakness, the world opened up for me. It really did. I love that. And I think just to pick up on when you were talking about that guilt of a uh, feeling that you shouldn't be doing this. And I think that's, again, a huge pressure that we don't necessarily talk about very often because we have these ideals that you need to have a work-life balance and yeah. we're all talking about it. But, oh, when you break that, the guilt can be crippling and it mm. can be worse than the actual thing itself. So You've got to learn to forgive yourself. Yeah, you really have. And be kind to yourself as as kind as you are to, to the people that you're supporting. Yeah. And what I do as well now is, you know, when I do have weekends to myself, I make sure I'm poor, I do high quality things. And that, that that's something else that I've learned is when I used to have free time to myself, I was so exhausted that even when I had free time to myself, I couldn't do much more than sit and play a computer game, watch television or something like that. Whereas now when I've got free time to myself, I'll book nice things, you know, I'll do something, you know, I'll, I'll go to a gig, I'll go to the football, I'll go to boxing, I'll, you know, go away for a weekend or something, you know, I'll, I'll have that quality time. I'll intentionally book in things with friends and family and it's having that quality time. And you realize is that doing, doing meaningful things with your free time, it might feel like, oh, I don't want to get up and do anything, but that energizes you. You get the energy to be better at work. And when you start being better at work and you start getting more energy, you find you can be a lot more productive at work. And I, I, I find that since living healthier, and again, I quite often say this about my healthy living choices. They're not for everybody. It's just what works for me. But since living healthy and embracing that, I can do more work in four hours than I used to do in eight because my mind isn't clouded. My mind's clear. I'm thinking straight. I'm fueling my body well. I'm taking the time out. I'm not occupied by petty troubles that are occupying my mind because my mind's clear and I can be concise and I can be committed. When you do that, you can find you can thrive. So it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily the volume of work. It's how you go about handling that and how you can prepare yourself for it. But it's all well and good for me to say this because I went through many, many years when I wasn't handling it well at all and everything was sacrificed and I was spinning too many plates. But then you learn what works for other people might not work for me. What works for me might not work for other people. On that note then, Tilly, you're a manager. Do you have to be attuned to the signs of overwork in your social workers and... Does everybody show these signs of overwork in different ways? What kind of signs will you see in others that you might not see in yourself? So, yeah, you have to be attuned to the people that you're supporting because they become your caseload when you're a manager. Yeah, yeah, um, tell me. <laughs> and everyone re reacts differently. And I think in a post-COVID world where we're working from home, a lot more and and maybe we only go into the office every now and then that can be really difficult mm. um because it's it's very easy for people to hide behind a screen if they're not doing so great and they're not so forthcoming at, at, at telling you when something's wrong so you've got to notice the other signs so um th things that i look out for are, are things like um people are, are volunteering for more stuff than they should be or equally, people are then struggling and, and not volunteering and almost not acting like a team player, but they're, they're mm. not doing that because there's a problem and they're not able to because everyone wants to work and work together as a team. We're a very, um, I'm very lucky that I've got a really cohesive team. But if someone's not necessarily chipping in as much, then I know that that person is probably going through something. And that's when you've got to unpick those things in supervision, because that's not, that's not any of their personalities, naturally, that they work as hard as they possibly can. Um, just 
other times you can pick it up once you know someone or even if you don't know someone and, and you're still getting to know them there's just subtle signs that they might be more irritable or, or snappy or upset about things. They might be quieter or they might be masking or using humor. There's so many different things. But if someone's acting out of the norm, then it's normally because something's the matter. And that might be something within work. It might be in their personal lives. But that's when really good quality supervision is important and not necessarily just within the formal supervision. But with the informal stuff, so you might just message each other on Teams or have a have a phone call and just check in with people. And that's that's how you've got to manage it when you're not physically seeing people in the office every day face to face, because that's when it's often easier to spot those signs in person. How do you sensitively raise the issues over the shown those signs of stress then? Because it's all one good recognizing them. And I ask you this because um as you know, I'm not always the most sensitive of souls. <laughs> My love is tough love at times. I, I tell it as I see it. And I think people, I fulfill that role in people's lives because a lot of people don't have that. And yeah. I, I like the fact that if people come, as you've experienced yourself, my friend, um, <laughs> I, my, I'm always consistent. If people come to me for advice, they'll get it straight up. You know, if people, if people yeah. are coming to me for advice, then they always know it's always going to be the same. I'll, I'll tell them exactly as it is and exactly how I see it. It won't be cruel, but it'll be straight down the line. But well, this is, this is what you need. This is what I think you should do. This is my situation. This is my view. If you want to get different advice from different people who may, you know, just sit there and talk about your feelings and what should happen and what shouldn't have happened and dwell in the past, that's, that's fair enough. But I'm a man of action. If someone comes to me for advice. It's like, well, this is what you need to do. Let go of it. Let's move forward. Let's make a plan of action. And people can take that or leave it, but that's how it comes for me. People that don't know me well might see it as insensitive. But for me, it's, I give people the advice that I would want. How could you sensitively raise the issue of others showing signs of stress, though? Because my approach would not go down too well as a social work manager. And I didn't really use that approach as a social work manager because the advice you can give to friends is very different to the ones that you can give people in the workplace. So as someone who has done that and is likely to do it more sensitively on, on many more occasions, how do you broach this issue with people, my friend? Well, the best way, I think, is to have these conversations in advance of things happening. And everyone likes a different approach. And you've got to be very mindful of that when you are a manager and tailor your approach accordingly. Yes. So ideally, I would have liked to have had this conversation with someone beforehand and say, look, what are the signs when you're, you're getting stressed? How do you how would you like me to deal with this? Do you want me to be the tough love? Do you want the listening ear? Do you want the compassionate? Whatever it is, how do you want me to respond? And then I would be able to do that in the situation. But obviously that that's a perfect world and that doesn't always happen. Um, and I think it's the same way that you would address something with someone that you're supporting on your caseload. It, you would want to get the issues out in the open, but in a very sensitive way and just be, be kind about how you do it and say, look, I've noticed these things. Um, I want to be here for you. I want to support you. Tell me how. Uh, would you like to to talk about these things or do you want to talk to someone else about these things or how how are we going to tackle the problem and just kind of be guided by them Mm. um i think that's really important because as you say everyone needs different things at different times and and one situation you might need it for one approach and then the next week you might need something else it, it very much depends but you'd be you're, you're led by the person that you're supporting whether that's someone on your caseload or or a supervisee are we both guilty of working too hard ourselves then Tilly? oh yes oh yes <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean yes uh, uh, i'm working on it um and i think it comes in peaks and troughs it's not yeah. uh, i always work so ridiculously hard there are times when i don't work enough probably um i get very distracted by things and i'm a terrible procrastinator when i've got um important things to do i like to work to a deadline i i need a deadline i'm not very good when tasks are open ended but uh, there are times certainly when i've realized that i've worked harder than i should and as i've already talked about today um but let's like right, right, right tell you right okay i think we're both in danger here of downplaying what working hard gets you 
Working hard gets you rewards, does it not? Yeah. But not yes, working hard isn't a bad thing universally. No, no, it has its pros and cons. Um, I mean, sometimes the harder you work, the more work you get. And I think that's yeah. a real, that, that, that's a, a sad fact of life, isn't it? If, if you're good at your job, you're going to get more work thrown your way. But equally. People know that, that you can cope with it. But, but yeah. What success yeah, comes about without hard work? Anything that's worth doing is worth doing well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I make no apologies for saying that I have worked hard and given up a lot of my own time to get where I am today. Exactly. And I, I don't regret doing that. Um, I wouldn't have been a manager at my age or it's my stage of career had I not put in always that extra effort. And, and if you and I, I hadn't sometimes... been hard working, we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. Our no, listeners who've exactly. succeeded in their fields, you know, everyone has to work hard. People who resistant wouldn't have been in their position, whether, you know, they've worked hard to get to university, they've worked hard to get through university, they've worked hard to become a social worker, they've worked hard to become a manager, they've worked hard to become a social, a service manager or a guardian or a ladder or a lecturer or anything. Things in life that you want are worth striving for, are they not? They are. They are. And, and hard work can be good sometimes. It can be very satisfying when you've accomplished something that you've really strived for. These mm -hmm. things, if, if things come easy, then that's, that's not so fulfilling, is it? If you've, well, everyone if you've will be doing put it. all of your, yeah, yeah. If you've put all of your effort in, like you've just said, if someone's got, gone above and beyond to get through university and really struggled with the academic writing or, or those elements and they've achieved something by working hard well that's amazing and we, mm -hmm. we're not downplaying that at all um and, and how do we grow as humans how do we grow as humans where do we grow do we grow on our comfort zone or do we grow on the edge yeah that is the learning and growth zone isn't it when mm -hmm. you're, you're looking at those social work models and that's that is going to take more effort but there is that fine line isn't there between working hard and working too hard and it's yes. that too hard when it tips into having your impact on your physical health and your mental yes. health and things in your personal life are slipping that's when it's too hard no one's saying that we don't go to to work and and work as hard as we can for the people that we're looking after because that's that's our job that's what we want to do that's why we're here and we get paid okay not the the best salary in the world but we get a decent salary compared to other compared it's to above other average so it's above, it even, above average even an, an, even an entry-level social work wage is above the national average and if you were to ask the majority of clients that we support in our work they would be very very grateful indeed to earn what we take for granted yeah yeah so we have to work to earn that money mm -hmm. and and that is going to come at sometimes some discomfort, but not too much, not too and much. And that's the key. And, and yeah. And we know within ourselves when it's that too much. I think we've all got different levels. We've all got different tolerances and thresholds, mm -hmm. but we all know on an individual level when we stop and look at things objectively, am I working too hard? Yes or no. And that's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. And social work is hard work. Let's get this right here. Social work is hard. Social work is hard. What we are dealing with is hard. We are dealing with people who are experiencing some of the lowest moments of their life. And we are tasked with entering that arena, going through the fire and the flames and helping to pull people back from the brink. We do that whilst having to navigate antiquated computer systems, multiple referral forms and manage multi-agency teams that are very, very difficult and all have competing demands. And we often do this whilst, whilst being sworn at, shouted at and threatened by people who don't really want the help as we are offering them it. So it can be very, very difficult indeed, particularly when you then add in pressure from the government, pressure from the press, and there being a new review or a new reshuffle every couple of years, which throws out everything you've said. And we all know that we are one mistake away, and not even our mistake, we are one parent or carer doing something heinous to the people that they support away from having our names and faces splashed across the media. It is a hard job. It involves hard people.
doing hard work. And that is what we are. We are hard people doing hard work and hard jobs. But with hard work and doing hard jobs and being hard people, we can see massive rewards, not only for ourselves, but most importantly for the clients that we support. And it is always, in my opinion, Tilly, always, always worth it. Yes, there have been many a night where I thought, oh, I wish I didn't have this deadline and I wish I didn't have this to do. But I have never once felt bored by my work and I've never, ever felt like my work was futile. And that is something that I have never had the pleasure of saying or feeling in any of my other jobs before I became a social worker. Yeah, that's really true. That is really true. Let's wrap up with this one then, my friend. I want to come back to the article I wrote the other night where I listed 10 signs that you're working too hard as a social worker. Can we go through these one by one and both be fully honest and admit if we have felt these things or not? And if we do feel these things, how they come about? Are you up for this, my friend? I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you. It's, you know, parity here, my friend. Should we do this? Good. Yeah, both of us together. Let's go. We're on the, we are on the good ship SWR together, as always. As always. Me, the captain, and you, my first mate. Or would you be the captain? Would you like to be the captain now? Uh, no, no, you can be the captain. I'll, yes. uh, I'll let you have the responsibility. I feel I like you're better Call suited me... to that task. I like that. Call me captain again. No, because no, you're no, going to make it weird. No, 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 call me captain. Just say, just say, go ahead, captain. Go on, do it. Go ahead, captain. Oh, my God, I love that. Number one, <laughs> the number one sign that you uh, work. Well, it's not going to be the number one. This isn't a, a top ten list. Like This is the number one, just the, the first. The first sign that you're working too hard as a social worker is emotional exhaustion. The first sign of burnout is generally a profound sense of emotional exhaustion. You know, if you find yourself feeling drained and lacking emotional reserves to deal with your clients, it may be a red flag that you're overworking. Would you say that you have ever been emotionally exhausted by your work, first mate, Baden? Many times. And there's, as well as feeling overwhelmed with emotions, there's that numbness as well, which is a really big warning flag. A bit like yeah, Harry but... Potter and the Demem dementors and that that sucking all your energy out that numbness that leave that leaves you with nothing that is a, a big warning sign i felt that too i've been emotionally exhausted by work it's it, for me i have felt that profoundly when i have come home after a difficult day at work and i i didn't even have the energy to speak to people have you ever felt that way you come yeah. home and you just you, you just you were absolutely washed out yeah many many times Number two is detachment from clients. Now, obviously a cornerstone of social work is empathy and congruence. You know, our work demands that we have an emotional connection with those we support. But when we are working too hard, we can find that detachment occurs. Now, some people will criticize me for writing that and admitting that, but that is unavoidable. It's a self-preservation mechanism. In order to save ourselves, we have to start shutting down parts of ourselves that project our love and energy to other people to start focusing on ourselves. Have you ever found moments where that's crept in, Tilly, when you have started to almost lose that congruence and empathy and become ever so slightly detached from the people you support or maybe at a lower level, the problems they're going through? Um, very slightly. Um, certainly when I was in another management job and we had so many referrals coming through, I was starting to see just a list of names and not, and not necessarily, not that I forgot that there were people behind it because I didn't. And I was very aware that I needed to remember that each person on the list was an individual's, but mm. it was a numbers game to get as many people through the door and out the other side into it with a service and onto the reviews list as possible. And I think that's a really dangerous, slippery slope to be in, but it's a coping mechanism when you've got more people to support than you can, you are resourced to deal with. That is how you kind of get through the day. Yeah. I, I have never seen this creeping in to the extent where it's ever created issues in terms of my empathy and congruence with others. I have, I have noticed it creeping in ever so slightly years and years ago. Years and years ago was when I had oh God, 40 plus cases in a local authority and I was already just in the first year of my, um, of my social work career. 
And I found myself hating my phone ringing because I knew it would be something to deal with that I didn't have the capacity to deal with. And I realized that was when I had to leave that local authority because these were people that were ringing me. These were people that were ringing me because I was responsible for trying to help them in very, very difficult situations. And I thought, I can't continue with that. I cannot continue allowing myself to be in a workplace where I see what should be the cornerstone of my practice, which is interacting with the people I support as as being difficult. So I've seen that, God, we're looking 10 years ago now. Thankfully, it's never happened again. But at moments of extreme stress, I believe most people could feel that. Um, the third sign of working too hard is frequent sickness, um, stress leading to release of stress hormones such as cortisol which in turn weakens our immune system of course stress can also lead us to exercise less get less fresh air eat poorly all of which can result in frequent sickness have you noticed yourself tilly ever getting poorly easier or perhaps illnesses like colds and flu and covid lasting longer than they usually would when you have been under times of stress and duress Oh, massively. Yeah, this has happened so many times. Mm. And normally when you're just about to go and leave as well, <laughs> that seems to yeah, be a thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's that old chestnut where you go on leave and then you're suddenly ill. Um, that that's a, that's a big warning sign. That's a big red flag that you're working too much. That does happen. It's because our bodies, our, our bodies have been in survival mode whilst we've been in the workplace. And as soon as we step out of the workplace, our bodies relax. And when they relax, we can finally, you know, we finally have the sort of ability for our bodies to recognize what's really happening and we get sick. But yeah, I've, I've noticed that since, um, you know, since I've moved into less stressful lines of work and have been managed, able to manage that stress better, um, I've been in touch wood. I've been a lot healthier. Um, number four, difficulty in decision-making. Overwork, you know, clouding our judgments, making things more difficult to uh, understand and, you know, really sort of making us fuzzy-headed and not even able to make basic decisions or perhaps being able to make decisions but not seeing the long-term picture. If you ever noticed that you've been so stressed that you've struggled to make decisions either in a personal or professional capacity or have perhaps found seemingly easy decisions a lot harder to make because you've attributed lots of stress to them and felt like at times, you know, you couldn't do right for doing wrong. Yeah, so I, I, my warning sign there is if I'm making really snap decisions yes. um, and not really thinking things through I don't generally have a difficulty making decisions I'm quite a decisive person um, but I, I notice I'm if I'm being a little bit more risk po well not even risk positive because being taking positive risks is a really good thing but yeah. being more impulsive I suppose or making snap rash decisions then I know that that's a warning sign that I'm I'm overloaded and can't think things through thoroughly and that and that is the point isn't it it's if you're particularly in a position of management or a position where you're working independently like i am it's on you it's on you to make a decision you, you haven't got a manager you can go to you are the manager i haven't got an, another person i can go to it's on me luckily i haven't been in a position like this for years and years and years so luckily i don't feel it now but if you are in those positions and the decision is on you and you can't go to someone for help and you don't have the clarity of mind or the peace of mind to make those decisions that is when mistakes get made do they not of course they do yeah that's a really dangerous place number five is reduced productivity and this is really ironic because working too hard can sometimes make you not be able to work as hard it can reduce your productivity it's like i said earlier you know I, when i have a clear mind and i'm consistent and i'm calm i can do double the work in the same amount of time have you <laughs> i know the answer to this one we all know the answer to this one <laughs> but i'm going to ask it anyway um, surprise surprise tilly have you ever found that your productivity has gone down because you've been working too hard of course i have yeah. of course i'm terrible at procrastinating i as i've said before i, I really struggle if i've got a lot of long-term open-ended tasks without deadlines i need quick easy well not even necessarily easier tasks but shorter tasks um yeah. that are normally in higher pressured environments that's how i thrive best 
I don't do well if I've got a lot of long-term things to do on my to-do list because they never get done and I go to the more interesting things that are going to give me that bit of dopamine, I suppose, rather than plodding methodically my way through a a task list. So yes, I, I know when I'm putting things off and starting to talk to other people and distracting other people as well. I'm terrible for that, especially in the office. Um, Sometimes my work colleagues must really hate me because I just can't stop talking and they're just like, go and sit in a corner on your own and and get on with things. Um, A perfect example of less is more there, you know, less is more in that situation. Number six is sleep issues. Now this can be both. It can either be insomnia or oversleeping. Um, Essentially disruptive sleep patterns are an indicator of stress and overwork. How often have you struggled with sleep or struggled to get up in the morning when you have had too much on? All the time. I mean, I'm not the best sleeper anyway. I go through periods where I can't sleep much at all and times when I can sleep for 12 hours a night quite easily. Um, It's very much linked to my mood and how I'm feeling. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's a constant battle. Sleep is not always easy. I'm the same. When I've had periods of stress and overwork, I often find myself waking up about two or three in the morning. Um, I asked my friend, Dr. Price, about this, and she explained the reason why that is, is our bodies tend to release cortisol around that time. So our bodies naturally release the stress hormones. That's kind of you know, usually where most people depend on the sleep patterns are about four or five hours, six hours into sleep by around sort of two, three a.m., um and when you get to that period your body releases stress hormones and she explained to me that if you are very stressed because your body releases so much of that your heart can spike and it can wake you up and that's what i found was often happening to me i'd be waking up two three in the morning couldn't go back to sleep for an hour or more because i would wake up and i'd be up a height and i wouldn't be able to go back to sleep so yes when i've overworked in the past and not been able to handle the level of work i've been at well, I believed I could handle it because, you know, I thought, well, I'm not taking time off sick and it's still getting done, so I'm fine. Yeah, it was still getting done because I was burning myself out in pursuit of that goal. So that's where I've seen that. Number seven, again, we know the answer to this one, given we spent a lot of time on the podcast tonight discussing this, but the sign, the seventh sign that you're working too hard is your personal life takes a backseat because you're consuming so much time and energy in the workplace. You neglect your personal relationships and hobbies. Hmm. Has that ever happened to you, Tilly? Yes, yes, and yes. Of course it has. I mean, who hasn't? Who hasn't experienced this? If you haven't, I'd be genuinely interested to hear from you because I'd love to know. I, I really would. But yes, of course it has. Number eight is increased irritability. Um, you know, frequent irritation, anger particularly I'd say with over a minor issues, you know, it's natural to be irritated, 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 naturally I'm irritated because I can't say that properly. It is natural to be irritated about major things in life and even have the occasional little thing that you get worked up about. But at times of overwork, what we can do is we can really get worked up about minor things and a lot of our stress and pressure about major things in the workplace that we are pushing down inside of us and hiding away because we're trying to pretend to the world we're okay. That can find itself spilling out, spilling out, spilling out in seemingly benign and trivial situations. Has that ever happened to you, Timmy? I mean, it probably has, but that's a, a not really something that I experience. I'm quite a laid back person. And I think if anything, I flip the other way that I go too laid back and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Don't care. Just just do it um, rather than getting irritated and worked up about it. So that's a, equally as dangerous. So, um, mm. but yeah, it's, it's a different way around for me. I found that happening to me because because I am so laid back, more or less every single aspect of my life, like major things never bother me. But I know that if I know that I'm stressed and I'm worried about something, but I'm not accepting it when something tiny will really bother me, because nothing usually bothers me at all. As you know, you know, you've known me for a long time, Tilly. I'm very calm about most things. Most things I can easily let wash over me. But I know that there's something underlying that I'm not dealing with. It could be stress in my personal life. It could be stress to do with work. It could be both. But if I find myself falling out and not being able to handle or getting really confused and worked up and kind of like mm, my brain in a bit of a fuzz, 
and, and getting angry and irritated about minor things, that's usually a pretty major sign that there's something bigger going on for me. And the ninth sign is neglect and self-care. Um, skipping meals, slacking an exercise, um, eating junk food, maybe not doing your hair that day or doing your makeup if you would usually do it of course if you don't usually do it that's not of the ordinary but essentially slips that come into place of your usual standards you have for yourself whatever they may be that neglect and if your usual standards of self-care and everybody's self-care is different but whatever your usual standard is that you aspire to if you slip from that it can usually be a sign of poor self-care have you ever found that happening to you when you've been overworked tilly yeah, mine's normally around food. That's the biggest <laughs> crux for me. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, either skipping meals or overeating. Um, there's not normally much in between. It's one or the other for me. Um, but yeah, that, that's a big warning sign for me. It was alcohol when I used to drink. This was alcohol for me. And I, would, I was never a big drinker. I've, I haven't gone out and got you know really, really drunk for a hell of a long time. But for me, it was daily alcohol use. Just at a low level, it'd be like, a glass of wine a night, a gin and tonic a night. Um, sometimes as soon as I got home from work, pour myself a glass of wine at like half, five, six. But making it a daily thing, it was the combination of, it was a sit, I used to find that to be tragic as it sounds sometimes, the only thing I was really looking forward to in a day was coming home, getting a takeaway on the way home and having a large glass of wine sitting in front of the telly. And look, it was, it was nice, it was nice, but it, it it was making me poorly. It was, you know, I, I could sense the difference in that. And it was, that for me was a sign, um, not taking care of how I dressed as much, just sort of putting the first thing on that I woke up and saw in the, in the morning, not going for my haircut as regular, sometimes, you know, not shaving for a day or two, making that a regular thing. Um, those were the kind of signs that I knew that I was dealing with too much because, I knew I had the time for those things. It wasn't a time issue because we're talking about like minutes, 10 minutes or something to do those things. And you're talking about like 20 minutes to cook yourself something healthy. It was more giving myself those tiny little mercies. I was having such a stressful time and going through such difficulties that I deserve to treat myself. I shouldn't be, yeah. shouldn't put as much effort in today. I, you know, I'll just have a glass of wine. I'll just have a bag of chocolates. I'll just, you know, get myself a kebab on the way home. It was it was self-soothing away the difficulties that I was facing and it was just so counterproductive because it, it was making things worse. And when I stopped that and I started taking more responsibility for my own actions, things improved dramatically. Do you get that feeling? Yeah. Did, 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 have you felt that way before where you sort of feel that you deserve to reward yourself because of the crap that you're going through? Oh, it's a constant battle, Vince. Constant. <laughs> <laughs> Treat yourself. It. It's yeah. oh, it's it's a constant struggle. Whether yeah. it's that, or whether it's like online shopping, or chocolate, or a glass of wine, or anything like that, it is a yeah. constant struggle. Or another holiday, which seems to be at the <laughs> moment. It's a treat yourself. Book another holiday. Um, yeah, no, I'm grateful because I haven't I haven't been in that position for a long time since I sort of you know accepted things and I, I haven't you know well you know my, my, my diet's very clean um but yeah I know I know what it's like I, I really do know what it's like to think well I deserve this I need a treat for myself I, I, I you know I deserve it why not you know why not do that for myself and for me that was a sad sign of you know because I could do that for myself I could treat myself to something that wasn't healthy for me but I couldn't love myself enough to start to stop doing those things that were unhealthy for me. And it was a very, very strange place to be in because it was like, well, hang on. I deserve to treat myself. I'm good enough that I deserve a treat because of all the difficulties that I'm going through. But I'm not good enough that I deserve to make myself feel properly better. So instead of making myself feel properly better and really working through those anxieties and those fears and what's driving me to feel that I have to overwork, that I have to prove myself, that I can't accept that, you know, I'm not really able to do this as well as I'm trying to convince myself and other people that I am. I could love myself enough that I could give myself a, a drink or some junk food and have little moments of respite in amongst those difficult times, but I couldn't love myself enough to accept that I needed a proper break 
It's strange that, isn't it? Did you get that feeling or not? Or is that just me? Because for me, it's a very strange no, it, dichotomy. It's not just you at all. It, it really is. I, like I said, I battle with this all the time. And I don't know what necessarily, I, I don't know in myself that I've overcome that at all. I, I do use treats as a way to make myself feel better and as a crux. But yeah. oh, working on it constant in self-improvement we will but the fact that we've both going. been there we've never had that conversation before we've literally never had that conversation before and i've, I've exposed something there that in the past i wouldn't have been able to say that if i if i had gone back to an earlier part of my life i could never have admitted that because i would have no. seen that as a sign of weakness to sit here talking to you and talking to our you know two thousand people who are on average tune into every single podcast to say to you and all our listeners across the world that yeah i, I used to I used to cheat myself. I used to think, you know what, I'm going to do that. I, I deserve this. I'm going to treat myself to some junk food or a drink or like buy myself something because that was just a little way of saying thank you for myself, holding my hand and getting me through the day. And I used to live for those moments. There were times in my life where I used to live for those moments, those little moments, you know, it was half an hour of that little feeling of oh, relief and those endorphins and just just to sit there, you're stuck nice and full, you know, a little bit head fuzzy with the wine and think, oh, yeah, this is this is good. Now, it's all well and good doing that if you do the other stuff too. I'm certainly not saying, you know, I'm certainly not saying you could never drink wine and you could never have a takeaway. God forbid. I've, I would love to do that if I could, but I don't these days. It's just that's all I was doing for myself. My problem, Tilly, is that's all I was doing. I wasn't doing anything else for myself. I wasn't taking care of my self-care. I wasn't taking time out. I wasn't telling people the struggles that I was really under. I wasn't being honest with other people. I wasn't even being honest with myself, my friend. I wasn't even being honest with myself. So I was doing one thing for myself and that was to give myself little treats, but um, I couldn't do more than that. That was the only thing I could do. And it was just so, so strange really that I could do that. I could bring myself to know that I was under such stress that I needed a little treat but not that I needed to make lifestyle changes. It took me a long time and then I was able to do it and just all came spilling out. And for me, it was making that one, it was that just one little change, which was that it's going to sound very, very cliche, but it's true. For me, it was learning that I didn't always have to protect being the strong man. I didn't always have to say, well, a man like me wouldn't be like this. You know, everybody sees me as being this way. So I have to, I have to be this way. I have to be this way for my family. I have to be this way for my colleagues. I have to be this way for my manager. I have to be this way for my clients. I have to be this way for my friends. I realized it was, just, it was just a facade and that was weakness. That wasn't strength. That was weakness because I was pretending. As soon as I accepted, well, 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 that's why I'm doing that. I'm doing this because of this. Then I was like, well, I can, the real strength is tackling the problems. The real strength isn't hiding from the problems. The real strength is tackling the problems. And to tackle the problems, you have to pull down that curtain and look what's behind them. You have to stare those demons right in the face and say, I know what you are. I know where you came from. And I'm not scared of you anymore. I'm not scared of admitting that I was scared of you. I'm not scared of admitting that I had weakness. But when you can label those things and you can look them in the eye, the power goes away. And that's where true strength and growth comes from. Very well said, my friend. Our tenth, Ooh, I almost forgot that we had a tenth one. Our tenth, <laughs> uh, our tenth one is feeling unfulfilled. Uh, the tenth sign that you might be overworking is feeling unfulfilled. Um, social work is fulfilling. It should be fulfilling. You know, the things that we're doing, we are stepping into the breach in people's lives and we are helping them fight their battles hand in hand. Maybe not necessarily hand in hand. That might be a bit inappropriate. We could do another podcast on the power of touch in social work. Um, but when when you get so trained that you can't appreciate the positive aspects of your job, that's a sign. Has that ever happened to you, Tilly? Have you ever been so wasted that you couldn't even see the good that you were doing? I think there have been times where I've struggled to see the benefits. Um, certainly when you're just feeling like you're up against bureaucracy and red tape the whole time. <laughs> um, and I mean, maybe there are times when actually we are just of just part of a machine which doesn't necessarily always do the best for people but as you say social work is generally fulfilling and it, I haven't personally felt unfulfilled in general by my job I, I love being a social worker and I'm I'm, I'm passionate about what I do and it's, it's what gets me up every day and yeah so I can't really say that I've I've felt unfulfilled by it but there have certainly been unfulfilling aspects of my job for me 
I could look back on articles that I've written years ago, blogs that I've written. I used to write a daily blog. I can look back on blogs that I've written years ago, and I can look back on memes that I put out years ago. And how do you think my life was and how do you think my career was at times when I was putting out negative blogs and negative memes, even if they weren't about me? And a lot of the time I would hide these behind other things. But how do you think things were going to me when I going for me in life when I was putting out memes about how stressful social work is and like those sort of dark humor memes and writing about how difficult social work is? What do you think was going on with me at those times? Well, you're going through a tough time and I know I, I knew you part of that time but but not the whole time but i know that you've you've come a huge way since then and when i was writing positive articles about social work and articles for change and offering people advice and offering solutions where do you think i was in life of course you're in a better place bingo because i was unfulfilled by my work because i was working too hard and what i would do is i would spill that out and i look back at some of the memes and some of the content that i put years ago and i frankly embarrassing it really is i don't like it i don't like looking at it at all because not only do i not like that i was projecting my own negative feelings out into the world and having that as gospel and saying you should agree with this because this is how i feel i don't like it because it reminds me of my inability to accept the struggles that i was facing at the time so this feeling unfulfilled with the work when you are overworked yeah, you need to take a break, you need to have a tolerance break and you know, you need to recharge your batteries because that can lead you into a very dark place indeed. It can, yes. Well, Tilly, um, we shall end it there, my friend. Hopefully not too, an intense uh, podcast. We've talked about some relatively intense things, but I would like to think that hopefully we've done that in a way that we've been honest with each other. We've shared some learning and hopefully our listeners can take something from this, whether it be learning or whether it simply be that comfort in knowledge to know they are not alone. And that's right, Tilly, you know, we've gone through those 10 aspects there and We've all felt them to a certain degree. And even the ones that we haven't really agreed with, we can see how that would be. But, you know, we've come through this and, and we're working on these things. And I think it's only right that we let our listeners know that they are not alone in this battle, are they? We've been there too. No, and we are still going through this all the time. We are not the finished product by any shape or form. This is a, a constant battle for both of us. Um, so, yeah, you, you really aren't yes. alone if you're feeling that way. And the gift of social work comes with a heavy price, and that heavy price is often paid for by our own well-being. But it does not have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And keep working on it, guys. You know, this is a constant battle. You always have to be guarded because the void isn't far away, and you always have to be guarded. We go out there into the world, and we take our light with us and use it to shine on behalf of others we have to be very, very careful not to let ourselves burn out in the process. As always, if you like what you've heard, it would be very, very good if you could hop onto iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you are listening to us through and leave a review. Like Helen, you can also drop us an email and we will read it out on next week's show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can find me and Tilly on LinkedIn too. If you want to be a business, a business friend, a business pal, join us on LinkedIn. Do consider leaving that review, though, and we will read you out on next week's show. Until next week, it is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. 